Okay, uh, I've been tasked to give a, a brief discussion of Joseph. Uh, a brief discussion, I'll let you know. I have 45 slides, so, uh, so we better get to it, I guess is the best way of putting it. I'm going to assume that a lot of folks know the story of Joseph, starting here in Genesis 37. And what I'm going to do is go through these slides kind of rapidly and get through the whole story to get you the whole idea of what Joseph went through and his family, what they went through, and what Jacob went through. All this is uh, really uh, in Genesis from chapter 37 all the way up to the end till 50. And it does make a, uh, a big impression on what we can look at in uh, some of those things. When I looked at all this and put it all together, I almost thought I'd use the title, uh, what, uh, Why Does Bad Things Happen to Good People? I mean, that's a good way of describing it. And let's get started. There you see uh, Jacob's son. Joseph was the one. He was the favored one. Uh, Rachel was his mother. So <coughs> Jacob gave him the multicolored robe. Uh, all his other brothers sort of were envious of that. I'm sure that I would have been too if we had one uh, of the siblings being uh, given more than the rest of them. There's a little bit of all the, uh, the genealogy from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then what we're talking about here is Joseph, and then Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. And we know that those are uh, essentially our 12 tribes that went on, this whole story that goes from that. Now, this all started when Joseph had these dreams well, his first dream was that he was seething the wheat or sheathing the wheat together, and all of a sudden his sheath stood up, and all the rest bowed down to him. And I guess he wanted to impress his other brothers, and he told them that story. And I'm sure if you agree with me that that didn't go over real well. They're a little bit upset about having uh, that story told to them. Well, he then had another dream. Now this dream is where he was standing, there's his multicolored robe, and all of the brothers were bowing down to him. Everyone was bowing down to him. Well, that even went over less than what the, the idea with the wheat and the sheaves. The dream, its meaning, okay, they were going to bow down to him. Well, that, uh, like I said, uh, made the brothers kind of upset. They had the idea, well, let's get rid of him. So one day, Jacob sent Joseph out, yeah, out to uh, check on his brothers. And they saw him coming from a long way away. So they uh, sort of uh, got together and said, let's, let's get even with this guy. Let's kill him. Well, that probably would not go over well with Jacob. Uh, then Reuben said, no, let's not kill him. Let's put him in this well. So there they put him in a well. Well, then some traders came along and they essentially said, well, let's sell him. Let's make some money on this. So they actually sold uh, Joseph into slavery. 
Now, where he went is these uh, traders went to Egypt, and he became uh, a um, uh, sort of a slave with Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the, I believe, guards for the pharaoh and stuff. And uh, Joseph did such a good job there. Uh, he was in charge of the grain, the slaves, everything. He was that good of a manager uh, and came through that so well. And uh, he went on to have all that ability as that manager in Potiphar's house. Well... Unfortunately, the overseer there, uh, it was Potiphar's wife that got him in trouble. I guess Joseph was a handsome individual, uh, and she tried to get him to essentially uh, sleep with her. Uh, That didn't go over well, even it was a story, but anyway, they put poor Joseph back into prison. So he went from a well, now he's in prison. I mean... When you think about it, he's got to say, God, what are you doing to me? Why is this happening? Okay. Okay. Now Joseph's in jail, and he has some uh, other friends, in not friends, but other uh, slaves, uh, other prisoners in there with him. And uh, he talks to the jailer and stuff. And it seems the jailer uh, understands that Joseph has a huge amount of management skills, okay, to talk in modern-day terms. And he uses Joseph to manage all the other prisoners, the rations, and all the other food and things. So the jailer, he just sits back and enjoys life instead of uh, worrying about uh, taking care of it. Now, that temptation that he had with Potiphar's wife ended up, he was a righteous person. He did not uh, essentially go into her wiles, and he was put as a prisoner. Okay, as he was a prisoner, I mentioned before, some other prisoners with him had a chief cupbearer for Pharaoh. And they also had the chief baker from Pharaoh were in there. Uh, the pharaoh was dissatisfied with their service and they were in there and they had dreams those dreams of what was going on so they told joseph these dreams and they asked well here we are we don't have anybody you interpret these dreams one of the key things that i like to think of joseph doesn't say i'll do it no he says Only God can interpret those dreams. So it's through Joseph that God interprets the dreams. You can see the three uh, groups of grapes there and pouring wine uh, into the cupbearer again. So this actual meaning here, again, this we're now in Genesis 40. Well, it seems to mean that this cupbearer is going to be restored. Now, the poor baker, uh, he uh, had his dream, and he was carrying bread on his head. Birds came down. They ate all his bread. So the interpretation of that uh, dream again, those three baskets, like the three groups of grapes, represents three days. And in three days, unfortunately, 
Farrell took care of the baker and had him impaled. So the cupbearer was restored. The baker uh, received his, uh, I guess, due sentence. But Joseph is still in prison. Again, what's happening to me? He's got to be saying that. Now, Pharaoh, excuse me, Pharaoh, now he has some dreams. And his dreams are significant also. He sees seven really good, robust uh, cattle, and he sees seven that look like they're just on this death's doorstep. And he has no idea what this means. And again, uh, as we go through, you're going to see what it really means. The meaning is there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. They also had the dream there of the stalks. Again, grain stalks. Again, seven very uh, plentiful uh, stalks and seven that weren't very good. They, and they actually, in both cases, the ones that were uh, on death's doorstep for the cattle actually ate the ones that were all in good shape. And again, there's seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Well, they came to Joseph and uh, asked him to interpret those because that cupbearer who was spared said, oh, I remember a guy in prison. They brought Joseph out. And again, he says, only God can interpret these dreams. Uh, let me uh, go with what he says to me. Uh, he did that. He interpreted that and told the Pharaoh, you can expect the seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You need someone to essentially take care of those seven years of plenty so that in seven years of famine, everyone will have food and everybody will be able to continue their lives together. So that was important. When he saw this, when Pharaoh saw this, well, he gave him the signet ring. Uh, there's the example of what it would possibly look like. He essentially told everyone in Egypt, you listen to what Joseph tells you. He is second in command of everything. So he was out there to be able to take all, care of all that. So now here we go with Pharaoh uh, and Joseph, second in command. Uh, he has all the labor, all the servants, all the grain. He is, he is the man. He's managing all that. And he's got to think, boy, this is great. I guess, God, maybe you had all this in your plan for me. Well, I guess it was in his plan. Now that famine that we talked about is also in Canaan, where Jacob and the rest of his family and his other brothers lived. Well, uh, they had to get grain because they had no food in Canaan. And Jacob sent his brothers, all except one brother. The other brother from Rachel, which was Benjamin. So they went down to Egypt. They tried to get, uh, they went before uh, Joseph. 
Now, Joseph has been in Egypt for probably a long time, and we'll see some of the, the timeline. So he's probably already changed some of his appearance. He probably looks Egyptian, he dresses Egyptian, all that. So the brothers don't recognize him, but Joseph definitely recognizes the brothers. Now, again, I mentioned there, Benjamin uh, and Joseph were the two uh, sons born from uh, Jacob and Rachel, and they were essentially his favorites, we can say in, for sure in this story. There is our Hebrew Joseph, who understands what's going on. He was essentially righteous in what he was doing. He also kept his faith in what God was doing in his life. Um, being, that must be awfully hard for someone that has gone through all that. But in that, he's gaining a lot of management and a lot of uh, experience in what's going on. He's gaining wisdom, wisdom in what happened to him. There was the rest of the world, the Egypt uh, had that plenty. This was the seven years of plenty. Well, the brothers down there, well, when they got there, they were tested. Joseph knew them, and he tested them. He wanted to put them all in jail, uh, and he didn't do that. He kept one of the brothers, but his requirement was, if you're telling the truth in what you're saying, that you just came to uh, buy grain and not spy on Egypt, I need someone to stay here, and you must bring back your youngest brother. Uh, they told him about having... Uh, 12 brothers, and they lost one. The youngest one is back with their father, uh, and he's very fond of this young, uh, young one of the brothers. So he really said to them, well, you have to bring back the younger brother so I can verify that. That was the first test. Then they went going back. All of a sudden, the silver that they had paid for that grain to, uh, to Pharaoh in Egypt, it was still in their sacks when they opened the sacks up. Now, that really made them fear when they got back that they're, they're going to be uh, looked at as thieves with that. So then, uh, again, that famine uh, got worse in uh, Canaan. It was not getting any better. They, they ran out of food again. So they had to send the brothers back. There was essentially a very heavy discussion between uh, the brothers and Jacob that, no, I won't allow Benjamin to go. I just can't lose uh, this uh, one of my sons. But they finally convinced them that was the only way that they could go back. The other thing about uh, their conduct was, they took all the silver and brought it back. And they doubled it because now they were buying more. They went back. Uh, they again went before Joseph. He didn't know, know them. And he did understand what was going on because he recognized the brothers. They had a big feast. Uh, I guess to go ahead a little bit quicker here, what <clears throat> happened is, he had a third test. He was trying to get the brothers to understand what they had done. And they're, they're starting to come to the conclusion that 
yeah, we did something pretty bad to Joseph back then, and now we're getting punished for it. Well, Joseph's plan was to plant a one cup in one of the bags as they went uh, back after they purchased their grain. That one cup was in Benjamin's sack. So as they were going back, uh, they had the discussion and said, well, we can't have, uh, have this. I mean, the one that took my cup has to be put in jail, become my slave. Well, again, the discussion that went on and the thing that came forward was Judah, one of the brothers who was <clears throat> there, and he was one probably of the ringleaders about killing Joseph and things. He said, no, we can't let this happen. Uh, uh, take me instead. You take me as your slave. <clears throat> and I will be your slave, but release my other brother, Benjamin, so he can go back to Jacob. He even pleaded that Jacob would die if he, didn't, uh, if he lost his uh, youngest son. Well, this was about all that Joseph could take. And he said, he essentially identified himself. And I am your dead brother that you sold into slavery, that you sold to those merchants. He identified himself. There was a great celebration. There was, uh, I imagine, a lot of hugs. But one of the things the brothers kept back was, wow, uh, he's alive. Is he going to have any uh, any retribution on us for what we did to him? And they had to worry about that the whole time. But yet, one of the things uh, I think it was in in forty in in chapter forty three that Joseph said, "No, you you did this, but you didn't do this to me. God had this all planned." This was all planned to go through. And essentially, where we're happy today, you have food, we're managing the, the food here in Egypt, and all that. So he tried to uh, essentially get them to be a little bit more relaxed. So, Here is what I described there with Judah. He was the one that said, sell him. But he said, once they were identified and went down there, I'll take his place. I'm going to sacrifice myself so that Benjamin can go back and be with his father, Jacob. Well, when they went back and they sort of reconciled, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Canaan was still in really kind of bad shape. And Joseph left word, or sent word that his family, Jacob, and everybody should come down to Egypt because he could take care of them with that famine and all that. So they went back uh, to Beersheba and got Jacob and the family, and they moved. But here is one of the interludes in between. Here God had all these plans that went through with Joseph. And it was all planned for good. The brothers 
their part of that plan was, was evil. But yet God's rule over that made all that evil turn into good. So this is sort of a future idea I think they put in here for the, the slides that I looked at. Now Canaan was freedom. That was the promised land. That's what Jacob and Abraham, they were promised to have that freedom. Now they're going to Egypt. And as we jump ahead in the story, you know Egypt ended up essentially having all that slavery with the uh, the 12 tribes. And that's sort of a, a future story, but uh, this is what happened uh, a little bit later in all that. Now, the family was given land, uh, land, I believe it was in Goshen. They were herders, so they went out there and herded their sheep and cattle and all that. Well, because of the famine, a lot of people were coming to, to Joseph to get... Uh, to be able to buy food. So he would essentially take their money, give them some of the food that had been put aside for those 78 years of bounty. So he had almost all, most of the money. Now they came back to him uh, with all they had was livestock. They essentially gave Joseph and Pharaoh the livestock. And then finally... All they had left was the land that they had, and they were essentially then, uh, they were slaves for what went on in Egypt. So that was Joseph's really cunning of just continuing to build the wealth (laughs) in Egypt. One more back. Okay, here we go. This is God meant it for good. (laughs) There's the well that Joseph was put in. A prisoner, the idea of the grain, and then Pharaoh with uh, him being the number two in all of that. Now that all went through because of God's plan. This is just a little uh, idea of the age. As you go through all those different parts of Joseph's story, he was about 17 when he was sold into uh Slavery, and it was about 10, 11 years before he interpreted the, uh, uh, the, wine, uh, the wine pourer and the baker uh, all the way up. Uh, then when he was uh, 56 is when his father, Jacob, died. This is just sort of a timeline. Uh, the first reunion with his brothers was when he was 38. Well, going through that quick story, and that that was kind of quick, but we're doing good here. Uh, What did you get from that story? Now, I'm asking folks here. God God uses us, and sometimes we don't realize it until way in the future that he's been there and using us for his glory, for his purpose. Yeah, yeah. when we go through those bad times, uh, I think uh, Tom Camp is probably going through one of those bad times right now. When we have problems, when we, uh, we don't have jobs, 
and other things, all those, when uh, that happens to us, we're thinking, just like Joseph, what are you doing to me? Okay. Anything else? Yes, Tim. I like the timeline that you put up uh, because I think that really puts things in perspective uh, to think that uh, he spent about half of his lifetime, if not more, in uh, slavery slash prison. And, uh, you know, so Joseph has to be thinking, or, you know, I, I certainly would be, you know, what have I done? How long does this have to go on? Lord, won't you deliver me? And, and eventually he does. But, I mean, Joseph went through some really terrible circumstances for a long period of time before he ever saw that uh, deliverance. And so the story of, of perseverance, you know, my, my patience is about that much, you know, um, and so that's a real that's a real lesson in perseverance through uh, what can seem like endless trouble. Yeah, just like it says up there, God was there. Jeff? Yeah, the military is an axiom about coming in. They, they tear you down, and then they build you up the way they walk. At the beginning of the story, uh, we may have missed it, but Joseph is rather arrogant. Yeah, it's, very arrogant to have and that. so a very prideful person, so... Uh, I think uh, God used that time frame to tear him down and then discipline him and teach him the management capabilities he would need later. And, and this is very similar to David's uh, early, early time. All the time he spent in the desert learning from Saul, he was still developed, being developed and disciplined by God to be a king. Um, in comparison, Saul didn't have any of that. So you can see the difference. Yeah. And so I, I think that there, in our lives, when God says, okay, you know, you're mine and I will use you, there's a period that we have to go through to be disciplined and retrained to be a vessel of God. Well, that whole idea of discipline in what you said about the military, that also uh, comes back and it has to mean that you're, you're kind of faithful to what you're being told. You're faithful to doing the job for uh, that DI or that uh, instructor and stuff because you have to have that faith that this is going to end well. Uh, and like Tim said, that small amount of, of patience, just that must have been really tough for him. One of the acts that you can show that he did become or did remain faithful is the idea of Potiphar and his wife. I mean, there, I mean, I'm sure he was, what, 18, 19, probably 20 years old when he was the head of that household for Potiphar, and his wife came to him to have, her, uh, have him sleep with her. He was righteous. He, he got away from her. And again, <laughs> to go back to patience, uh, he ended up in prison. I mean, that, that's not a, a good story you want to think of. And his frontal lobe hasn't been formed yet. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> but boy, I mean, that's tough. And right now, we're in our Bible study, we're reading about another example of what we're going through in Job. Can you imagine all the things that Job went through and, and tried to remain faithful? This is a real important idea. 
that Fred. Actually, Don was. Oh, Don, sorry. Me. Can we go back to Can we watch the timeline again? Oh, sure. Please, that's all I just want to There we go. Thank you. Go ahead, Fred. Well, just a side note I can't help but wonder every time I read this story is when Jacob found out that Joseph was still alive. <laughs> what did he do? Did he turn to the other sons and go, What were you thinking? You know, I mean, how. How, how would you deal with that? Boy, that uh, that's a good point. I don't know that I, I thought about any of that, but boy, how can, how could he? I mean... Uh, I mean, that would have to be such a mixed blessing. That yeah, that he would... find out your he's favorite a, son is still living, but yeah. these other guys, look what they did. Yeah, it's time to take the other brothers to the woodshed, right? <laughs> Isn't that... I mean, that's what be... Except they had a great defense... And they said, you know, you showed favoritism, what would you expect? <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that discussion probably went on between uh, the brothers and, and Jacob with all, with all that when they, they got back. I think one of the things I want to emphasize as we go through some of the, the meanings of the story, that God is always there even in those bad times. I mean, that's a really important thing. He's there through the story. Uh, sometimes it doesn't look like he's there. <coughs> he's not always actively directing what's happening, but his presence is constant and causing or enabling the possible movement of his, I emphasize, his story both geographic, moral, and from foolishness to wisdom. That wisdom, that's something I haven't discussed yet. Joseph really came from being that arrogant brother to having a huge amount of wisdom in how to uh, handle the household affairs, the affairs in the prison, and then the affairs of Pharaoh to take away those seven years of famine that were coming. He gained a lot of wisdom. Uh, and I'm sure when he came to that conclusion, he saw that, okay, what the brothers did to me was bad, but it was in a plan that was going to move forward and provide good for a lot of other people that way. Through the movement of Joseph's story, Really, God redeems a broken family. You can imagine that Jacob's family was kind of broken with the, the famine in Canaan, the brothers uh, having to go down to Egypt to get food. Uh, it was probably a really tough time for uh, Jacob's family. Now, God was there. He was there with Joseph. He moved from Canaan to Egypt. He was that arrogant foolish young man to a wise man. He moved for anger. Uh, forgetfulness to forgiveness and restoration. Later on in the end, he was very uh, um, the reconciliation between him and his brothers. He's redeemed from the suffering uh, in Egypt. From being a victim of violence uh, from his brothers. 
uh, his own anger and memories. He's learned wisdom and trusting in God. Joseph's brothers, they moved from wicked deeds to accept their responsibility for what they've done. They understood as they went down to Egypt and didn't recognize Joseph. Something has to be going on here. Something because we did this to our brother Joseph. They're redeemed eventually from their early ways. Okay, Judah, a a good portion uh, of the discussion I didn't get to Uh, Judah, he was one that uh, said, sell him, kill him. Uh, He moved from being that merely concerned for himself, where his brother Joseph was being treated as the favorite one. He wasn't getting his equal share, I guess, what he said. Later, Jacob blesses his uh, uh, children. Judah receives this blessing. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Okay, what do you think that means? I think that's kind of obvious. Judah was the the house where our uh, Savior and Redeemer came from. It was through the house of Judah that uh, uh, Jesus was born. Uh, Judah is redeemed from his previous egotism. Uh, He, I believe, realized that down there. Uh, He volunteered to take Benjamin's place. I'll be the slave. Don't let Benjamin be taken from uh, his father. And he becomes one of the leaders for the children of Israel. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, well. Years later, after Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers, I mentioned this before, they were still worried there was going to be penance to pay from what they did to Joseph uh, and that he's going to take revenge on them. Hopefully, we'll get back on track here a little bit. But after uh, Jacob's death, still wondered about that. And this is that reconciliation I mentioned. This is in, in the end in Genesis 50. Don't be afraid. I'm I'm in a place of God who intended to uh, harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being uh, alone, the saving of many lives. That good, that was an overall idea uh, going through all that. Oh, it's back in the center. Uh, Joseph's story does not explain every case of suffering and grief. It instructs us on how to acquire the necessary wisdom that will allow us to face such experiences. That's, that's a pretty big statement because of all the problems we can have in our, our lives, uh, the problems with maybe not having a job, losing a mate, uh, all those things, how do you think that gives us wisdom? I think that, uh, and, and I'm just making a generalization, but I, 
but I see um, that we, when we don't trust in God, but we trust in ourselves, we think of every case of suffering and grief as it's about me. And, and, and we don't put it in God's hands, really. We say we put it in God's hands, but I don't think we don't. Because in their suffering and grief, I mean, even David in his suffering and grief put it in God's hands. <coughs> so I, I think we need to make it. And it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental step that we have to make of placing the situation that we're in in God's hands and accepting the results. Because who are we to decide on the results? Isn't that what God told Jake, uh, Job? Who are you, man? Who are you to uh, question me? Were you there when I uh, created the world, uh, parted the seas, uh, or all those things? You know, this story is going to be told time and time again. I just finished Judges, uh, reading Judges, and this story. This is a long story, and it deals with a family. When you get to Judges, it will be the nation that sins. There's something that God uh, was kindled, is kindled against, and they go down. Everything from cap well, people dying, and they give the numbers in there of how many people died, all of, and all the judges. But this story, and, and then they eventually come back, and there's some evil person. Here it's the Egyptians, I think. Uh, but God brings them out of it. So this story of Judges is, I don't know how many times, I haven't, didn't go back and count them. Probably a dozen times this whole story is repeated. But it will involve the nation that this family creates here, the uh, nation of Israel, uh, and we don't learn this story. Yeah, it, or they did for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things that that I always said in reading those uh, those chapters in the Old Testament about can't they, don't they learn? Don't they ever learn when they have faith in what God put before them, and they still go back and worship idols, and they they go against the rules and things and the laws that He he put before. That's a really good parallel, Keith, between what happened in one family and what happened to a whole nation. And, I mean, where I already talked about it, that nation that was created uh, for judges in that area essentially had to be redeemed from Egypt in slavery. So that that really is an important part. We, we gain wisdom because we got to remember that God is always there. Any other comments? I think that just sums up a lot of what we just discussed. Wisdom will allow us to see life from God's perspective, not ours. Uh, don't put yourself first. Red. Well, I, kind of clarification, we talk about a lot of times the suffering and grief, you know, helps us to grow and learn, which it does. But I think what it's saying there is, although the Joseph story doesn't explain every case of suffering and grief, it's the story that instructs us on how to acquire that wisdom. In other words, it's in God's word. It's, you know, it's not a matter of 
okay, now I'm suffering, so I'm going to learn from this. It's not so much the suffering, it's learning from those stories of how God wants us to deal with, with that. That's how we gain the wisdom, is through his word, not necessarily just the suffering and grief, because we're in the middle of that suffering and grief. A lot of times we're not thinking straight, but if we're wise in our understanding of God's will, we're going to come through it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's wisdom uh, in faith that God is always there. When you say we go back to his word, uh, I think that that's a good good example of that. So how do we... Barely a generation goes by and judges, and they're back, yeah. you know, falling away again. So we've got to pass this, and I don't know, really, you can't put your finger exactly on the problem, but if a generation goes away and they're falling back into sin and, and grieving God and that stuff, how do we do that to get that information in the heads of our children and their children? And so on, because everyone doesn't seem to do that. Generation goes by, and they're back doing the same thing. Yeah, that that's a, a good example. Uh, I wish I had an answer, because current what we're going through in this nation right now, are we teaching our young about the patriotism that it took for our fathers to win World War II? and all the evils that were overcome, and all the sacrifices, I, I, I don't think we are. The folks we see uh, celebrating the patriotic uh, ideas of our country, uh, you see them. They're the old World War II veterans. They're the ones standing up. They're the Vietnam veterans that, that suffered and things. Yeah, if, if we would could ever find out how we could pass on that idea and that wisdom, that faith into each generation, uh, we wouldn't be going through the problems that they, they depict in Judges. Because that's one of the big things that we, uh, Jeff has always said. It only takes one generation, just like you said, to go bad. Tim. So uh, far from me to say that uh, I've gotten this down, but... Um, God tells us how to do that. You know, I, I, I read the I read the Bible, and I, I I just think, how in the world could these guys have missed this? You know that weren't they weren't they just uh, seeing something amazing, and then next thing you know, they're grumbling against God. You know, how, how could you do that? And you, know, you have to you have to realize that the the Bible is very action-packed, and so, you know, we're getting, like, the cliff notes of what actually happened, and, you know, there are uh, months or years in between these events and how easy it is to forget, and so God says that, you know, write it on your doorposts, stick it to your forehead, talk about it when you get up in the morning and when you lie down in the evening uh, with, your, with your kids, because it's important to be having those conversations all the time so that you are constantly being reminded of the amazing things that God has done because God may not do something amazing every day but God does do amazing things and he's likely to do something amazing in your life if you just uh, if you just persevere long enough 
Yeah, that's that's part of that faith of passing it on. Yeah, um, it's what was I don't remember the saying, but it's you know God first, family, and then me. Uh, I agree with that, but a lot of times we're we're we may be reading and understanding and practicing. How do we pass pass that on to? The next generation, when they're in, uh, essentially uh, bombarded with all this, uh, the other ideas and stuff, that's really a tough job. And I really admire the the young families here at Eastside that with with the kids, and they're they are they are faithful to bring those kids along to have them in Bible study in uh, vacation Bible st- school. And that's a one way of reaching a lot of those. And it's one way of reaching some of the unschooled folks that come in uh, because they know we have such a good good program here. Uh, it's that, that faith. It's faith through wisdom or wisdom through faith. Well, this starts, sorry. When we can see through wisdom, we can trust that God will uh, will allow neither death nor life nor angels all the way down through uh, to separate us, separate us from the love of God that is in, in Christ our Lord. And that's the wisdom we're searching for. These are some uh, things I took, and you can see the my uh, my notes at the bottom where I took them from. But uh, God is present and very much at work. This absent presence sometimes uh, in this story, especially, and in others in our life, is a characteristic of the story of Joseph. Living faithfully in the face of adversity. That's really a big one. That's really tough. To be able to live faithfully. To say, we need to remember uh, those rules that God gave us. We need to remember of uh, putting others first. We need to do all that. I sort of really like this one. I read the whole thing. In adversity, Joseph wrestles with the issues of money, sex, and power. These are just the issues over which the church finds itself in controversy today. But it is the context of adversity that makes the story of Joseph a story for the church to seek, to uh, live out the will of God. Uh, Again, there's that living the dream. It's a story about costly experience of forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, Joseph sold into slavery. Uh, essentially made a good thing out of that when he took over and became uh, the manager at Potiphar's. Then put in prison, again, another wrong. But again, made that because he managed the prison so well. Then he interpreted those dreams for those uh, two prisoners, the cupbearer, the bread uh, maker, and he still reigned in prison. 
And then, uh, luckily, with the Pharaoh's dream and that one cupbearer, remember Joseph being in prison, interpreted Pharaoh's dream. It's important that reconciliation, I think that's a real big uh, part of this story. We have to remember that it has, that reconciliation has to occur. What would have happened if Joseph kept a grudge the whole time with all his brothers? What would have happened to those 12 tribes? What 12 tribes? Yeah, exactly. That's what it would have been. They would probably have perished in the famine. In the famine. But again, this story has so many twists and turns that the whole idea of essentially the bad things that happen may be God's plan in an overall idea of good to take over. Let's see. Uh, God will accomplish his purpose. There was a lot of evil that was done in, in there to Joseph. But God will always accomplish his, his uh, purpose in what was, was done. Now, why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, I'm leaving that open, but I will continue on. Yes. What? what? There are no good people. Well, we're told that we're all sinners. Uh, we could consider it that way, yeah. Uh, I won't go back there. He's the world's best poker player. He, he plays the hand that's dealt. God, if he got that. Yeah, I he mean, always comes out winning. Yeah, if if um, oh, which story about is it Esther? Where if. Esther doesn't do this. Go to the king. God will find someone else to go and do that, to uh, take away that, uh, uh, that edict to kill all the, all the Jews. Uh, with, jo uh, with Joseph, God does uh, more than just make the best of a bad situation. He uses it for ultimate good really ultimate good. I mean, uh, he reconciled his brothers, provided food for his family, five chapters before declaring that God planned it for good. Joseph said to his brothers, you yourselves did not send me here, but God put me here as father to Pharaoh and as a master of all this household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. We see two wills at work here. Joseph's brothers successfully perpetrated evil, and God successfully brought about good from their evil. God sovereignly worked so that the moral evil they committed and the evils that resulted were dramatically reversed to achieve his good purposes. God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. I really like that statement from one of the, the, uh, the books that I read and stuff. Now, additional comments, please. I got five minutes yet. <laughs> I think I got through almost all my slides. This is great. <laughs> comments on this. This is, to me, was a really 
eye-opening story about things that happen in our lives. Uh, bad things happen, but uh, there could be uh, an ultimate, very, very good outcome to that. Any other questions? There's obviously several lessons we can learn from it. Uh, one is about forgiveness, because if he didn't forgive his brothers and kept resenting them, yeah, reconciliation. Then yes. God's will would have would not have happened for one thing, and uh, on, on both sides, forgiveness happens, and we have to be willing to trust that even though we don't understand it and may not even live long enough to understand it, <clears throat> God's will still is going to to happen, and we need to distrust that. Yeah. Yeah, that idea of not understanding. That's I think that's one of the hardest things for all of us to accept. We don't understand why it's happening. Uh, we put ourselves first in many of those instances uh, when if we put ourselves in God's position and what was ultimately going on, but it's really hard to be able to understand the things that happen in our lives. One thing that seems that most people do is they, they equate God's will to their own comfort. So if I'm doing well, yeah. then that must be God's will. Or if I'm suffering, then for some reason I've done something against God's will. Yeah. And so I think this kind of shows us that God is working through whatever the situation is to, to produce his good. And so a lot of times it's hard for us to see that. And things may not be going the way I want them to go, but that doesn't mean it's not God's will. The other lesson, I think, is to continue that faith that God will be there ultimately for you. Well, we already have said it's going to be the ultimate re ultimate reward. Laura? Um, well, we're mostly old people in here. I think the, the one thing that we did with our kids was to never, ever say anything negative about church leaders. Did you hear me? No, what? She said he never said they never bad. Said he, we never made a point. Not all about ever, church leaders. Ever said anything about elders or preachers or, or the people that we wanted our kids to, to adore. Well, I appreciate that statement. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Tim and Joe and, and Alan do too, and, and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, when we do those things, we're tearing down uh, people that we should be building up. They really should to get them out. Now, I've seen this story, uh, these chapters read, and when you take each little bit of it, you see just a little snapshot of a particular time. Yeah, but really, what you've done here is pretty good because you've told the whole story, and you have to do that. And I know Patrick was a big one. Patrick Mead uh, was a big one on 
saying get the story right. That all these details add up, but it's hard to do that in a few classes in Genesis and see the story at the end. You know, you have to do this. It does take that whole story. You can't. Well, what's what's the was it Walter Con or what's the rest of the story? Oh, Harvey. Oh, Harvey, thank you. Exactly. I mean, what is the rest of that story? If you just looked at one episode, in prison, uh, uh, being thrown in a well, all that. Yeah, when you look at the whole story, you become, and I think it's that same story with David, it's with Job. Uh, you read those, and until you read the whole story, you get it all together and at one time. Uh, I forget how many how many chapters there are. This was from about 37 through 50, uh, but the whole story was there. There was one chapter that I didn't cover at all, but uh, that was all there. It really was. Any other comments? Well, it's, it's also just find so many, and we ourselves are guilty of it. Is taking a passage of scripture out of context mm -hmm. to use it to make a point to make our point yeah yes but if you going with get the tell the whole story in just the story of joseph one incident builds from another incident until we see the culmination of that story yeah and that if you take any one part of joseph's story out of context you don't get the whole picture you don't Any other comments? Okay. Well, I think I did it. We're good. <laughs> hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.